Good afternoon, and welcome to Keys to Rolling Out Identity Security and Data Governance Solutions, a health system CIO media Inc. production sponsored by SailPoint. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your questions and comments. You can send them in in the Q&A box when they occur to you, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the uh, slides and the video boxes the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Tariva Palmer, Chief Information Security Officer at WVU Medicine, and Matthew Radcliffe, AVP of Healthcare with SailPoint. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. Let's jump right in. Um, Tariva, can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, we're approaching 20 hospitals now. We're an academic medical center as our flagship, which is Ruby Hospital, which is located in Morgantown, West Virginia. We've grown rapidly from five hospitals in the health system to 20 since uh, 2015. We have a robust work from home program and um, our major focus is security. Um, from the boardroom all the way down. It is identified, uh, cybersecurity is identified as our number one risk to the health system. So we have the support of our CEO and our VPs behind us. Tariva, do you think that the, the reason that's the number one risk is ransomware? Is that is that the, the element that makes it the number one risk? Because everything else previous, all the other issues, weren't going to get it there, but this gets it there. It does. And as an organization in 2016, we experienced ransomware firsthand ourselves. And um, I believe that as organizations, there's those that have experienced it and those that are still in that, that, that situation where they might believe that it might not happen to them um, with all of the news and uh, information that has been so prevalent in the last um, year or so. I think more organizations are understanding and recognizing the impact that it can have to their organization. Uh, we experienced it. We recovered very quickly uh, from our incident, but that incident uh, helped us put into place. It made us stronger. So we put different controls in place over the last uh, several years that other organizations may have not yet um, had either the, um, uh, how can I say it, the, the initiative, not the initiative, but the support from above. There were always other things that were maybe more important, but now this I believe is being seen as, as the, one of the most important issues that an organization can address. Yeah, 2016 is pretty early in, in the ransomware uh sort of craze, so to speak, things have really picked up in the last few years, but 2016, how much was going on back then? It was, it was still uh, happening and uh, it, it, it was, it was uh, definitely the attacks were uh, routine, but they were controlled and usually stopped. They didn't um, 
proliferate the way they have over the last uh, few years. Also, the tactics have changed by the bad actors. It used to be they would encrypt and then there was ransom leaving the information within the organization. Mm -hmm. But now the um, the goal is to exfiltrate that information, not that they weren't attempting to in the past, but now they'll exfiltrate and hold that information for ransom, which is a change from the tactics a few years ago. No, sort of added on. All right, um, Matthew, let's jump over to you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, and, and Anthony, thank you today for today, by the way, and Treva, great to great to sit on the panel with you. Uh, Sailpoint is is really the, the the world's largest standalone organization dedicated to the to the business problem of identity security. We help organizations understand and gain visibility into the identities in their organization. What they have access to is that access appropriate, and managing that access throughout the identity lifecycle. We're unique in the sense that we understand that identities are not just humans. You can have bots as an example. So differentiating between human identities and, and, and machine identities. But we're also unique in the sense that we transcend across application access, data access, and also cloud infrastructure. And with the volume of, of cloud transformation, that's becoming uh, a really critical component of our, our customers' cybersecurity strategies. Very interesting. And a little bit about your role over there. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. So I, I manage the healthcare business for SailPoint. So I've been here for 10 years. Uh, my team is, is solely dedicated to helping provider organizations like Tariva's team. Um, you know, we, we understand that in healthcare, there's some very unique and complex use cases in this space. We thought the best way that we could serve our customers was to build a, a team and a business that has that domain expertise has clinical integration expertise and, and really make sure that our solution and our approach to helping our customers solve anything related to identity security is, is done in a way and architected in a way through the lens of provider organizations. Uh, I, I've also spent the past 20 plus years collaborating with healthcare organizations uh, with their identity security strategies, both through the lens of clinical desktop, single sign-on, and, and of course, identity security here at SailPoint. All right. Very good. Uh, let's jump into it. Tariva, let's start with you. Describe what's going on with health systems that exacerbates the need for automated and intelligent identity solutions. So what is happening on the ground? What are the dynamics that makes this uh, such an issue that needs to be addressed? Uh, so for at WV Medicine, it's the volume of our identities that we have to manage and the volume of applications as well as, as you mentioned, work from home. So for us, it's a matter of ensuring that we can automate as much as possible and also ensure that we have uh, standard access for a standard role. So uh, for example, um, and, and, and that sounds kind of strange because I say standard access for a standard role. So in healthcare, um, an RN is not necessarily an RN and a physician is not necessarily a physician. If you're an RN that works at a specialty hospital or an academic medical center and you're on a specialty floor, your access is going to be different on, than on say another specialty floor. So cardiology versus um, uh, med surge. So your access may be different. 
if you work at an academic medical center like Ruby Hospital versus a critical access hospital that we have that might have only 25 beds, the access of a nurse at that academic medical center is going to be different than the access at the critical access hospital. Mm -hmm. So in order to ensure that you're onboarding your um, critical employees. So of course, there's a, a shortage right now with COVID of, of certain types of, of clinical um, users. You want to make sure that when you onboard them, that they're able to function from that very first um, hour. So in order to do that, you have to automate, you have to make sure that you have roles that are built for their access and um, you want to make sure that that access has been provisioned prior to them uh, stepping foot into the building. So for us, we created uh, working with Sailpoint and we actually had our, our templates and our roles built uh, prior to implementing Sailpoint IIQ. But the flexibility of IIQ allowed us to continue that. So we automate as much as we can and then we have uh, essentially work queues that are sent to different teams to provision the access that's needed based on that role. So our roles are built upon three different factors. It's what, fa what facility that you're at, which would be which hospital, which department you're a part of, you know, orthopedics, cardiology, um, environmental services, HR, patient financial services, that department, and then your job title. Those three things together build a role for us. And then underneath that role, the access that's needed for the individuals is provisioned in an automated fashion as much as possible with our EMR and some of our other applications. And then uh, of course, there's always applications where automation might be an issue. So we have a way to route um, provisioning requests to the teams that manage that access. Very good. Very good, Matt. Anything you want to add? Well, Tree is hired. I mean, <laughs> so look, um, I, I, I really love the way that Treva uh, described we have to remember in healthcare, they have complex user populations, combinations of, of employed, affiliated, and, and contract staff, plus med and nursing students. These, these, these identity populations having one to many roles associated with them creates a, a, a challenge. We then have to layer on top of that everything that's happened over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, right? There's a, a rapid uh, cloud transformation initiative going on within healthcare. And, and even though healthcare organizations are, are adopting cloud strategies, the fact is, is they're still very hybrid in nature. There's still an awful lot of applications that are on-premise and data that's on-premise, but they're marrying this with, with, with cloud strategies to uh, adopt stronger BYOD strategies, remote workforce strategies, and telehealth strategies. So organizations like SailPoint that are coming back in and, and helping them identify uh, an identity security strategy we have to make sure we address those very common but complex use cases around the identity populations and multiple roles and clinical integration. But we have to recognize that our connectivity strategy, the applications that we can help manage access to, the data that we can help manage access to, that we have the ability to bridge both on-premise and cloud and, and pure SaaS. So it creates a, a, a complex environment, but one that 
we understand and collaborating with with customers like you know WVU and others, we're, we're able to to really bridge that gap across those those different deployment strategies and supporting a hybrid strategy. MA, by the way, is only rapidly expanding in healthcare. So the continuous mergers and acquisitions and joint ventures to extend what I call the continuum of care to really provide that end-to-end care experience for patients. More and more, you have these third-party relationships and joint ventures and business partners. You also have to, to make sure that that identity platform can, can, can manage those non-employees, those business partners, and enable them with the access they need to provide value back to the patient population and to the health system. So Riva, it's it, from what you were saying, it sounds like you, you're using technology to get you as far as you can down the automation road. And then there's always going to be some gray area and that's when it goes to human eyeballs to go and figure it out. Is that sort of the way you try and approach it? it yes, that's that's exactly correct. And um, we work with SailPoint and like I said, the automation is strong um, and and works very well. But we have a few apps that in, in when you think of a health system, and I say a few, I mean, there's hundreds, literally hundreds of applications that we have, of course. And and some of those are smaller. Some uh, you, you the um, cost justification wouldn't be there to automate. You might have some applications where there's only five users. So in order to onboard those, you're still going to have them as part of the role, but uh, that's where you would use a manual notification to have someone added to the system and removed to the system when they're um, hired or transferred or uh, terminated, which of course in SailPoint is a joiner, mover, lever using the, the terms in the, the SailPoint arena. So you, you, still need to notify and ensure that uh, someone new coming on, they're in a role that requires access to, and I'm, I'm just an example, say 25 apps. And uh, a certain portion of those will be automated, the others will not, but all of those will be controlled by the role and the role that they have at that time. So you might start out at one role. And then as Matthew mentioned, you might have multiple roles because you could be a student, but then also be employed at the health system. So you'll have multiple roles. So with that, you would have um, a start and an end time on each of those roles. And then with COVID people getting pulled into different departments and all that type of thing, you you need flexibility in your tool to to deal with all that, right? Because we know people are getting pulled all over in hospitals. And and that's- Anthony, just 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 to add on one piece of that, yeah. that's that's really important. You, those disconnected apps, right? There there might be five or ten or or more, depending on the size of the organization. But you still want your identity platform to define the role and to track the workflow for disconnected apps. Because at the end of the day, it's also about compliance and, and driving compliance processes. So having your provisioning workflow engine fully integrated with your compliance engine is, is critically important. As you run certifications, you have to have the ability to automatically deprovision over entitled permissions. If you're provisioning someone, you need visibility into what they may already have access to to ensure that there's no uh, conflict in terms of uh, separation of duty or SOD policies. So it's, it's, it's really important 
even if you have to combine automation and manual process mm -hmm. to, to, to cover the entire application portfolio that you do that. So you, you're really driving home that compliance goal. Very good. Tariva, you want to add anything about the people being pulled? Uh, I just wanted to say when um, COVID first hit, we, we used SailPoint for our work from home. And so we also have what we call a, essentially like an exception request or an exception access request. And with that, the uh, supervisor or the employee can make the request uh, to work from home. And we built a role of what would be included with that work from home. So we went from, you know, several hundred, say a thousand or so that worked from home on a routine basis before COVID. And then within that next week, we ramped up to 3,600. And it really, the supervisor just had to make that one request and all of the requests that were needed, all of the different access provisioning was spawned from that one request. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, Matt, let's start with you. If health systems are not using advanced solutions, how are they managing identities and what are the dangers of doing it that way? Yeah, I mean, look, this is uh, the, the reality. It's it's manual processes. And um, I'm still shocked after not only here at SailPoint for 10 years, but being in this space for 20 plus years, there's there's still a lot of manual process in the world of, of provision and identity. I think for many years, identity management and healthcare was was considered a uh, a, a nice to have, right? I mean, that's just a fact. And it wasn't that it was wrong. It was a matter of, you have to understand that even a for-profit health system could be running a three to 4% profit margin. And then, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of nonprofits in, in healthcare. So when they had budgets, they had to allocate those budgets in terms of patient care. But the fact is, is, is COVID, if, if COVID had, um, if, if COVID shined a light on any major gap in, in security and healthcare, it was this, this challenge right here. A number of our customers came to us and said, hey, with, without these automated processes, it would have been exceptionally painful to onboard these, these contract nurses, these temporary physicians, these volunteers. We really don't know how any organization that didn't have automated processes, how they got through this. And we've heard from other customers that have now prioritized identity is, hey, COVID shined a light on some significant gaps that we had in our, in our identity strategy, in our access strategy. And now what's happening and, and the value of, of going from a manual process to an automated process is, you know, I've heard CIOs describe, you know, I, I spent 20 years building up security policies. And because of COVID, I had to break the glass in a matter of days. I had to break the glass of security policy so I could make sure that Doctors and nurses that were rapidly onboarded had the ability to quickly provide patient care. But now the problem is they need to go back and, and un, untie that web, right? Now, now all of a sudden people have access to things that weren't necessarily consistent with a role, but they had to give that access to treat patients. So now they're having to remediate access and, and review compliance processes and, and think about where they can use automation and technology to solve that problem. With the rapid change in business today, there's no way that a healthcare organization leveraging manual processes can keep up with the pace of change. And we're seeing that. 
IT organizations were typically grossly understaffed. They, you're asking IT organizations to do an awful lot with all these bad actors, and now you have COVID, and they're they're overtasked. So they need to find where automation can provide value, and, and cybersecurity and identity security is, is one where there's a very rapid win to the IT organization, the IS organization, and, and frankly, to clinicians. And Tarivu, I would imagine it, it makes you uh, more responsive to your customers, the organization, because you're able to provision people more quickly, get people into their roles, get them working. Whereas if you had a bad, if this was all manual, you had a backlog of dozens or hundreds of things that need to be reviewed. It was going to, we have somebody starting in a week. Well, I'm not going to have their access ready in a week. So it also helps with that, I would imagine. It, it does. And um, the way that our, our typical onboarding, I can, I can talk about uh, several different types of onboarding. Our standard onboarding, which would be the new employee orientation, new employee hires. Um, we used to have those <laughs> once every couple of weeks, and now they're every week for the health system. And there's hundreds of those, uh, hundreds of new hires and hundreds of transfers every week uh, with the size of the organization we're dealing with. And with that, you need to ensure that that automation is in place and that the roles are there, which we have, and uh, and that you have a team that is um, monitoring that. So you there is still work to do, but it's it's at a uh, you're using your resources much more efficiently because you're monitoring those automated processes to ensure that everything is going smoothly. Um, and you're verifying that access is, has been granted uh, so that when you do have that new uh, physician that's being onboarded or um, nurse practitioner, uh, any of those uh, users, as well as anyone that's hired in, into any other department, because it's also a, um, a satisfier when you're a new employee and you start, no matter what your position uh, in an organization, if you're able to function with the task that you've been requested to perform the first day, the feeling is that, hey, they were expecting me mm -hmm. and they're welcoming, welcoming me, you know, to, to the organization. So um, that's our goal that, that those that are uh, new hires or you're transferred, that you're able to function that first day. Um, we we had some limitations with our HR system, and so we're moving to a new HR system that will allow us to use even more of the capabilities that SailPoint had available that we could not use. And those are things of um, sunsetting and sunrising your your access. So you're onboarded, and um, I'll give you an example. You're being transferred. And typically when someone's transferred from an, a role that maybe they played for five or 10 years, the request that's going to come in is, hey, I need to keep my old access for a couple of months, or I need to keep my old access for three months, or the supervisor is requesting that they keep that access mm -hmm. because they're still needed or they, they believe they'll still be needed. With our current HR system, we didn't have that capability. Um, we're replacing that. We'll go live July 1st. And so we'll be able to do the sunrise sunset on the access. Our process now is that, that uh, the supervisor can request that, but it'll be an automated process with our new HR system. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we. I'm sure we can all remember starting a new job and nobody knew we were coming, and that's not a great feeling. So it's nice <laughs> to be able to to welcome them. Uh, Matt, anything you want to add there on what Tariva was saying? Yeah, I mean, look, look the the only thing I, I would add is is the last part of your your question there is you know what's the risk of of doing things in a manual way? One of the biggest challenges in, in healthcare around identity and and Tariva just touched on it with the sunset is is termination of access. When you have manual processes, you you have a, a, a seven day to, to multi week process that lags to terminate access. And what are bad actors after? They're they're after um, data, and typically the way they get to that data is someone that is either over entitled and, and has permissions they shouldn't have to data, or they're they're hijacking an identity that frankly should have been terminated or is overexposed in terms of entitlements. So the ability to automate those processes and, and the day they leave an organization to remediate access and terminate access immediately is exceptionally valuable to an organization. It provides automation, but at the end of the day, it, it, it ultimately is decreasing risk and, and really mitigating and trying to eliminate any risk with, with uh, identities that, that have not been terminated. And you want to get that down to essentially immediate revocation, right? I mean, there's no reason. Think of it as an open door. Close the door. Correct. And and I I can say that we do that Um, with SailPoint. We that is an automated process. So our access is terminated Uh, within an organization that runs 24 seven. You can have individuals that they they may be working all the way up till midnight. Um, But our process is is that uh, very next, you know, their last working day, they're terminated right after that very last working day. So it, it's and that works very well. And we've gone through multiple audits where that that has held up. Tariva, is there a difference in policy from a termination for cause to somebody resigning after 20 happy years on the job? Or should the process be the same as far as you're concerned for access? So for access, uh, for non-voluntary or uh, for, for those um, it's it's an immediate. There's mm-hmm. with those we typically handle those in an immediate fashion. So, either someone from our HR or uh, the supervisor that's working with HR would contact our um, our help desk, our IT uh, staff, which we have a process in place where they terminate them immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Very good. Uh, next question. Um, well, no, actually, I want to go back here. Um, let's go with, uh, Tariva, let's stick with you on this. How can IT executives get approval for an identity governance solution? What interactions need to happen with the rest of the C-suite, the board, and governance committees? And is this something CIOs and CISOs can and should be lobbying for? I've always been kind of interested in your role, the role of a CISO or a CIO in being an advisor and suggesting versus lobbying. Uh, when is it that you want to push and when are you just saying, here are your options, here are the costs, here are the risks, do what you want? Well, I, I've been very fortunate, like I said, with the organization that I'm, I'm working at where there's a, a um, really good understanding to the risks associated with um, with IT and cybersecurity. So from from my perspective, I've been fortunate that I've been able to um, 
relay these are these are the tools that are needed and sailpoint is one of the tools that we would consider to be part of our um, security controls so just as matt mentioned earlier being able to monitor who has access to what i mean you you have to do that as a healthcare organization as part of hipaa that's part of what's required of you from a compliance perspective but from a security perspective, you, you have to do it. It's not, it's not an option. So um, I think being able to explain that and the risks of, of, use, of having credentials that are not um, deactivated timely, explaining how those credentials could be used in an attack, um, if if you're able to relay that information, you'll you'll gain the support of your uh, leadership that's at, in the C-suite and then the board as well. I've I've not encountered them um, at any of those levels not uh, recognizing and understanding the need for security controls. Once you make the business case and and you explain the why behind it, how to avoid the risk. Matt, any further advice? You know, it, yeah. I would imagine this is something that CISOs and CIOs would want. So any advice on uh, how they can position it when they're making the ask? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I, I, three quick bullets. One is socialization. You've got to bring in different lines of businesses early as you start designing your identity security uh, program. Clinical integration, credentialing, learning management, the help desk. AD team, you've got to have these different teams on board from day one so they can help you one, sell the value, but two, they'll they'll be more apt to adopt and, and support the identity security initiative. Uh, two, with cybersecurity insurance premiums going through the roof, more and more healthcare organizations are pursuing security frameworks like NIST and HITRUST. Make sure that you're tying your identity security initiative to the, to the boxes that we can check under those security frameworks. There's specific sections for healthcare in each of those frameworks. And identity security is, is one of the very important tools that can check off a number of these boxes. Three, you know, look, every vendor has what I'll call an ROI, but that ROI is, is always gonna justify that you buy their product. <laughs> Um, I, I really like the approach that we've taken at SailPoint. We've, we've established a team of financial analysts that sit with their customers. They understand how they do processes today. They leverage data from both analysts and current customers and marry that back into what we call business value assessment. And we determine over a one-year, three-year, five-year period, hey, is this investment going to return some value back to you and have cost savings at the end of the day? So the approach we've taken is a very customer-centric approach. We build this business value assessment with the customer and, and the outcome, they leverage it, whether it's with an investment in SailPoint or another technology, it becomes their data to go back and sell the board. So don't just leverage a, a vendor ROI, make sure you're really working with a team of financial analysts that understand the technology, understand customer workflow and, and build that plan together and build those financial outcomes together. Very good, all right, Tereva. Um, how can a health system go about selecting an identity governance solution? Obviously you've, you've gone in, and through the process and made a selection, but at a high level, what are the things, what's the process for a CISO? What, what do you want to, how do you want to organize it? 
what do you want to consider what's important and then the vetting process the different levels and ultimately to making a decision that's right for the organization um, so for us, we initially had um, different tools that we were using that were homegrown, written in our, our own organization. So when we built our RFP, we uh, were able to consider those features that we already had existing in our environment. We also, since we're an academic medical center and health system, we took into account what was needed by the university, West Virginia University, as well as the Health Science Center. So we wanted to work closely with them in order to select a product that would work for both of us. So we were also looking at a password management system, which SailPoint also offers. And so that was one of our criteria. We wanted something that would handle password management. We were looking for what we considered to be role-based at that time. That was our, our terminology, our role-based uh, configuration and requirements for building roles. And then the automation of how to eliminate the manual processes so that our IT team members and those departments that had operational users that were manually building out provision, you know, provisioning access, we wanted to be able to replace that. So we, we um, built out our criteria for our RFP. We worked with our uh, university to ensure that we included what was needed from their perspective. And then uh, we, we worked with Gartner to understand uh, what the various options were out there. We were looking at what was in the best quadrant. And of course, SailPoint was there with, with several others. We looked at the time to implement. We looked at the resources needed to support the system over time. Uh, considered all of those those things together, and um, through that selection process, Cellpoint came out as um, the vendor of choice for us. That was back in uh, 2018, and in 2019, we implemented uh, July 1st, 2019, and uh, so it was a very quick implementation. So we replaced our password management manager as well as implemented. IQ in that time frame. Matt, your thoughts on uh, on how people can go about making a selection? Yeah, I, I could spend an hour on the topic, but I'll try to make it two bullets, uh, to be fair. Um, one is uh, don't buy off of a demo. Uh, and, and that might be counterintuitive to considering who I work for, and I, it's probably in my best interest to, to move quick. But these are five 10-year relationships, where over those five to 10-year relationships, you, you are going to you know, spend some interesting dollars. And and the fact is any vendor given the time to do a demo can probably make it look like it can do what it, it needs to do. I, I really, the engineer in me says, pull the covers back, look under the covers, understand how use cases are configured. How do you connect to applications? Force the vendor to do things in a dynamic way during the evaluation process. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And, and I think it saves customers a, a lot of pain uh, um, downstream. And then two is, is like we talked about at the beginning, the alignment to healthcare use cases. 
the multiple authoritative sources, the complex user populations, multiple roles, clinical integration. You know, there's, there's a lot that's unique in this space and not every technology is, has done a fair job to really peel back and understand the alignment to healthcare use cases. I feel it's something we've done really well. So, so make sure you pull that back as well and you know, make sure that the, those complex use cases in healthcare can be supported. You mentioned forcing vendors to, to do something on the fly, maybe during a demo. Can you give me an yeah. example? Yeah, so we, we promote what we call an iLab or a, a proof of concept. And, and basically what that means is we want customers to get hands on the keyboard. And, and as you prepare for a proof of concept, you always are going to agree on use cases that you know they, they want to see during that because you've got to be prepared and you only have a certain amount of time. But it's it's always good to force the vendor to say, well, what if I change this application or I want to onboard this new application or I want to create a new role on the fly or create a new certification on the fly? How do you do that? Force the vendor to actually show how you do those things and get under the covers. Um, you know, sometimes demos, you know, <laughs> there's the old uh, saying of, of smoke and mirrors and we strongly encourage our customers to avoid that. Again, you're making a decision for five to 10 years and you're probably going to spend well over a million dollars over those five to 10 years. So it, it still surprises me customers sometimes making very quick decisions on demos and we just encourage against it. All right. Very good. Uh, Matt, let's start with you on this. What are some best practices around implementing the solution and what can be done to set the stage even before a vendor enters the picture? What are some pitfalls and what do you think is the CIO's role versus the CISO's role? Yeah. So look, um, 10 years ago, uh, Pepperdine University actually did a study about failure of healthcare IT projects. And I still feel like some of the net result of that stands today. Uh, a healthcare organization that does not involve the clinical managers in, in the design of their program uh, and understanding the impact on the clinicians and what their life will be like within their identity security program was one of the two top reasons for failure. The other was a lack of C-level sponsorship. You know, Treva sets the example and the bar for C-levels being involved in programs and having a voice in programs and, and um, really charging forward with their program. And that's what you want. You've got to have C-level executive engagement on, a, on an ongoing basis. They've got to champion these initiatives to their peers across the organization. I talked about credentialing and clinical integration and service desk. The people that run those different businesses have to be involved early and often. I'm a big fan of stepping stone, big bang approaches. You know, they, they can create risk for anybody. Identity security programs literally touch every element of, of your enterprise. So starting with controlled populations, starting with an initial set of applications and expanding over time in a thoughtful way is, is a great path to, uh, to success. And then finally, make sure you've got the, the, um, the resources to support it, especially in the beginning. We want automation to reduce the people that, that need to think about identity security on a daily basis in terms of manual process. But you've got to have the people up front to drive the program forward, to get those initial integrations in place and to set you up for success and, and expansion. So make sure you've got those initial resources up front to, to help with the deployment. Tariva, your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree completely with uh, Matt, what you said about um, maybe starting small if you don't have anything, you know, starting with a few 
um, uh, automations, you know, to put in place integrations. I, I, I would do that. We, we had uh, quite a bit uh, of integration before we started. So we, we kept that so that we wouldn't go back. Um, but I, I, so I completely agree with that. The um, CISOs versus the CIOs role. Um, I was heavily involved with the uh, SailPoint implementation at WV Medicine, and uh, because I, I knew that if we uh, had that successful implementation that we did, that it would carry us for years. And I think you mentioned Matt, maybe five or, or ten years. And when I was looking at it, I was thinking, I was hoping, you know, fifteen or more. Uh, you know, you want that to be something that stays for a very long time because of the effort to implement it. So when you're making that selection, you want to pick the vendor that that you know will be able to carry you for those years. Um, and then as far as the clinicians, I, mentioning the clinicians and the involvement, when you're building out those roles, if you build those roles strong, um, what you gain from that over time is that when someone's hired, that interaction that you need from that clinician, the supervisor of the clinician, you really don't need them because everything will be built out for them. The user's provision, their access is there. They can claim their account. So the time to have their interaction is at the beginning when you're building in the system, building the roles. So then in later on, they don't have to reply and be, um, interrupted for every new employee that's that's being hired. All right, very good. We're going to jump to an audience question, uh, which uh, touches on what we discussed at the beginning of the program. Um, Tareva, what were the key changes WVU made in response to its ransomware incident? Oh, okay. I can, I can list them off pretty quick. So you want a geo block, you want endpoint detection, endpoint uh, protection, which would be your um, allow listing, uh, and uh, you know, so your allow listing. You also want to uh, train your employees for uh, phishing, phishing awareness. You want to modify your email system to block any kind of attachment that, of course, could be used for malware. And then you want to implement multiple levels of of um, uh, filtering on your email so that you can block those phishing emails from ever uh, hitting the, the inbox of your employees. Um, you want to implement uh, network uh, segmentation. Um, there's, there's just a, a standard list of things that you would want to implement and then, of course, managing your your users and your credentials, and that's where SailPoint comes in. So, uh, managing your passwords, ensuring that your passwords are strong, ensuring that you have multi-factor authentication uh, coming into your network or to any kind of applications that are external or cloud-based. Uh, so, there's it's the standard. If you look at CISA, CISA if you look at uh, any of the standard uh, documentation that's out there, just start to work that list and 
prioritize what you believe will help you um, the the best and the fastest. And things like geoblocking are free. So that's the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it between what would have an expense and a cost mm-hmm. and, and what was something that we already had in place that maybe we just needed to implement. Um, and SailPoint helped us with password management, ensuring that all of our credentials were being uh, routinely refreshed with password control. Well, everything you're describing, is that essentially you could say working towards a zero trust environment or is that different? I would say those were things that we did with the environment the way we are now. Zero trust would be something different. Okay. And that, is that, is that, what do you think of zero trust and that approach? Is that something you like or you, you want to do someday, or is it just not something that you're interested in? We're beginning to look at it um, from the investigation for, for our type of organization. Um, it, it may be a few years out uh, for, for a health system, but we're beginning to look at it. We can see that there would be benefits because being able to access, if you're an employee or a uh, patient that could be located anywhere and you're trying to access applications that are located anywhere that that zero trust comes into play um and so we're we're looking at it but it's it's not something that we see in the next year maybe maybe two to three something along those lines all right very good um let's do our ask a co-panelist uh segment uh matt do you have a question for tariva well yeah i mean look the you know as a leader of the business here and um I, I routinely appreciate the opportunity to interact with CIOs and CISOs at customers. It's it's always interesting to hear perspective about looking back in the in the rearview mirror, right? If there was one thing you could have changed, maybe with exception of SailPoint, <laughs> if there was one thing you, you could have changed as you entered your identity security program, um, and one valuable lesson learned, and, and you could have had a redo on it. What what might that have been? Wow, I would I would say um, I would say spending as much time on the development of the roles as possible, um, and ensuring that you have um, uh, team members that are um, uh, how can I say this that that have the breadth of knowledge that's needed and our team is very strong and we've we've built up from from the ground and 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 they're they're excellent resources but i think having knowledge of more of an architect that may be able to cross ad and maybe have an understanding of um Oracle and, you know, just maybe they're, they're broader in their breadth of their understanding of different applications. I think there's a benefit to that. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So Tariva, do you have a question for Matt? So what's, what, what do you see coming with SailPoint in um, the next say year to, we'll say short-term and long-term of 
development related. I think the zero trust question would be one that would I would be interested to hear where you're going yeah. there and and how that you'll be able to help us with that provisioning. Sure. Yeah. So look, f- first and foremost, um, I, I know terms like machine learning and artificial intelligence are, are somewhat overused in the industry these days. We, we brought on board a team of data scientists a, a, about four years ago now to look at a, a, a couple core problems that, that we still see in, in identity. And frankly, those problems create opportunity. Um, one is you just mentioned roles. Uh, the, the problem with the way you do roles today, not UWVU, but roles in general in terms of identity security, is there a snapshot in time, right? You create a role model and it's good for that time and, and that day. But because of the MA activity in, in healthcare, because healthcare organizations are so dynamic and bringing in new teams, bringing on board new applications, expanding their clinical care capabilities, that role model is literally changing on an ongoing basis. So how can we make that more dynamic? So we are leveraging this, this team of data scientists to create a truly dynamic, what we call access modeling capability for our customers. So we're always looking for changes in patterns and changes of an access. We're looking for new applications being onboarded and we're recommending, making recommendations back to the CIO, to the CISO, to the role owner to say, hey, we've noticed this new population. They're all getting access to these applications. Let's update the definition of the role. Or we brought on board a new set of users and they have similar access to this group of users why don't we combine them and, and redefine that role? So we're trying to make those manual processes around role modeling go away and truly make it dynamic in, in, in real time. Zero trust through the lens of identity for me is, is uh, really important. We play a great role. It's, it's all about making sure that users have the right access at the point of interaction. So we know someone's coming in, have, has that identity been proofed? And then we're only giving them access to the data, the applications, the cloud infrastructure that they need to have to do their job. And when they leave, we're making sure they're immediately terminated and that access is removed. So it's it's how do you have this continuous process of, of governance and compliance and, and, uh, and access through the lens of, of lifecycle management? Um, so we're always leveraging new technologies, new capabilities. I talked about data scientists. This team is always looking at ways of, of making those processes truly dynamic and, and real time. Um, and, and back to the security frameworks, right? Zero To get to zero trust, you need to be aligned to security frameworks. And, and Tariva was hinting on this quite a bit about checking boxes and looking at the different kinds of controls Identity security knocks off a lot of those controls around access and real-time access and access at the POI and governance and compliance. So so think about when you're going through those security frameworks, how can this technology help us drive to zero trust or drive to those security frameworks in a a much more rapid way? All right, very good. We have uh, just a couple minutes here, so I'd like to get a parting word of advice. Um, Tariva, your uh, parting thought for your CISO colleagues out there. Well, I would I would just say that um, related to SailPoint and um, if you're, you know, in this process of, of uh, either selecting or considering, um, in, ensure that you have your features in mind that your 
um, ready um, to uh, spend the time and effort. It's well worth it. Um, the time that is saved once you um, go live and we, we did save quite a bit of time for our staff on provisioning. And uh, we've also had that satisfaction for the employees when they're onboarded. So if you spend the time up front, it's, it's well worth it over the long haul. Very good, Matt, final thought? Uh, yeah, look, first engage. In, 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 there's studies out there that show that once a customer actually engages a vendor, they're 60% down the runway of evaluation. I, I would actually encourage bringing vendors into the conversation sooner and asking very transparent conversations um, sooner. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to share. There's a lot that needs to be unpacked and uncovered within any organization. We don't, we don't, we want to avoid surprises for the customer. And the way we avoid that is having very transparent, collaborative conversations early on. We're used to in healthcare, these are 12 to 18 month sales cycles. And that's a lot of great time to learn a lot about your organization, your processes and your goals and objectives. Then look, bring, bring different people from your organization into the conversation. I knew Tareva and team were set up for success when we first walked in the room. And I, I feel like there were 10 people around the table and, and that shows that they were vested. They were bringing the team in. This was going to be a, a very well thought out uh, evaluation process. And I encourage more organizations to do this. It's just not an IT initiative. It's an enterprise uh, initiative and, and having that participation is important to the success. All right. Very good. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. Uh, you'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our panel to Reva Palmer and Matthew Radcliffe, and I want to thank SailPoint very much for making this event possible. Great information today, and I want to thank you, our attendees. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.